Does it ever feel like everyone's got more going than you do? Oops. That everyone is smart. So you're Al Myers, kid? Yes, I am. You look pretty stupid to me. Thank you. You say the best skier in town just ran off with your girlfriend? Even your younger brother does better than you do? <laughs> and that nobody even cares? That broke up with me. Oh, that's nice. Well, you might be right. But remember one thing. I haven't even been to New York City. Nobody was ever better off dead. The truth is, I can out-ski you any day of the week. Oh, really? Yeah, you want to race, I'll take you on any day, sucker. Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. All you need is guts. All right! Now turn! I'm going to race, I'm going to lose, and I'm going to die in that order. Go! And you'll never doubt yourself again. He's skiing on one ski! Better off dead. That's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. An abnormal look at a normal teenager. Well, it's officially the holiday season here at Recon Cinema Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Recon Cinemation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brett Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we got a, we got a real good one here today. I'm very excited about this one. But, uh, but before we get into it, let's talk about the holiday seasons here. We're past Hanukkah. And we're headed straight mm. to Christmas. So, uh, David, what is happening around the studio lot, Recon Cinema studio lot this Christmas? It's always one of your favorite times and you're pretty busy. Yeah, we're keeping up the inflatable menorahs all month long. You know, I, I, I might be over, but it's still here in spirit for, for me. Let's keep it going. Let's enjoy it. The whole month is this is a, t- this is a party. So we, we keep that. Hanukkah going like nine months out of the year. Yeah, we're t- we really stretch the the metaphor of the story. Yeah, like it's it's huge. We keep it going. Uh, <laughs> Take it down yeah. in September. Yeah, uh, most of the sp- spider claws robots are up and running. So web slinging through the lot, delivering presents. Um, Perfect. Yeah, was it, wasn't there on. an actual Marvel like? I remember seeing ads with Spider-Man and Santa costumes. That was a thing. Really? Yeah, I think so. Maybe that's where I got the idea. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I thought I was an original. Well, we, we leased the rights from, uh, from Marvel. So we're good with that. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we got the, uh, all the, all the uh, manger farm animals are, are now running around the lot. So we got, we got your sheep and some goats, some donkeys. Uh, they escape the nativity, or are they just uh, well, you know, we get we gather them up every night for the live nativity that we do. Um, we, we have about seven different live nativities around the lot, as you know. So no one's been has a lot walk. of action for sure. I can't even keep up with it all. Like I'm yeah. a little overwhelmed walking through the lot. It's a lot of animals. So yeah. and barn <clears throat> mice, um, kitty cats. There's Maybe that's cats. the smell in my office. Some of those farm animals. <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know. It's, 
it's getting a little wild at Recon Cinema Studios for sure. Yeah. So, you know, we keep up the spirit of it. So let's keep going. We got the holiday music playing 24-7. Like extremely it, loud. It, yeah. Darlene Love and and the Ron That's year, that's year round. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's never not a good time for holiday music. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, we are talking about uh, Christmas films right now, holiday films. And last week we talked about Lethal Weapon, which is on the, you know, lesser end of the Christmas uh, movie spectrum. Yep. Uh, Let's just be real. We're being super loose about our interpretation about what Christmas movies or holiday movies are. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. We, we've always, you know, if you look back in the history of the show, we've always been that way. Yeah, we covered Die Hard and and we did a Christmas special back in year one. We did Gremlins. We did uh, what Edward Scissorhands was sort of our on the fence one last year, and then we did uh, Scrooged. And now you can add Lethal Weapon to the borderline, you know, mo- movie that takes place at Christmas, not necessarily right. a Christmas movie, and. Uh, I don't know. This one is uh, kind of in that same category. Where, where, where would you say Better Off Dead uh, falls in the Christmas uh, spectrum? I mean, it's definitely not one of the movies I think about immediately when <laughs> <laughs> when I think Christmas or holiday movies, but it's definitely set in the right time of year. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's set at the time. Christmas occurs in the timeline of the movie. Correct. Yeah, there is some snow. There's snow. There's Correct. Snow. So we're 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 heading in that direction. You see what we're doing? Yeah. We're building up. We yeah, have yeah. uh we'll 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 hint at it later what our, our big Christmas movies the finale be this year. You know, we got we gotta have a, a real Christmassy one, but it's all we're we're inching in that direction. No arguments. No. Yeah. No, th- th- this year it will not be an argument. It is where I think we're all on the same page. Almost couldn't be more Christmassy, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're talking about Better Off Dead, uh, one of John Cusack's uh, early uh, of the Cusack classic films. This is probably the first or maybe second. So, um, you know, directed by Savage, Savage Steve Holland. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of this movie. I've been looking forward to covering it here for a long time. Uh, what about you guys? When was the first time you saw Better Off Dead? I saw it as a kid that it ran on cable TV every it weekend. Did? Constantly. It, wow. it ran on WPIX 11. I did it really? Wow. Oh I, I never, never saw it there. I watched a lot of TV. It's I had I had a lot of exposure to this. Hey, PIX was a great station. Still is. I still is. I, yeah. I assume. I don't know if it's P, I'm not sure if it's PIX. Anymore. I think it's a WB station now. I definitely follow or the PIX. The, the, oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I definitely follow the WPIX uh, Facebook, you know, fan page where they put up like what aired on PIX on like certain days, the whole oh. TV schedule. It's really it's really Very nostalgic. Yeah. (laughs) Like they do stuff from the sixties all the way through. Like, I think, I don't think, I think they go into like the early nineties and then it would have switched to WB. Huh? Interesting. Anyway, but go ahead, David. Didn't have that that channel where I grew up. (laughs) No. Uh, No. So yeah, saw it on TV a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. 
I don't know. I couldn't I, tell you. I feel I, like I kind of missed this altogether on on TV myself. The first, actually, I saw One Crazy Summer first, and I saw that oh, yeah. on HBO at my neighbor's house, for sure, late night view, and loved that one. But I don't think I really got introduced to this until maybe middle school, could have been even high school. Me and my hmm. buddy Andy uh, loved this movie, but I think that we weren't really introduced to it in until probably eighth grade, maybe ninth grade. Hmm. Uh, but once we were, steady rotation. Now, oh. you see, how did you see it when you first saw it? Was it a VHS? Was it a rental? Was it on? Yeah, it would have been VHS. I'm yeah. almost positive. I, do, I don't know for certain, but it, I would I would assume it's it's VHS. It wasn't Laserdisc? Nope, nope. Unlike you, John, <laughs> I did not have... You had the Laserdisc of this? No, laser I did not. Laserdisc player. Nah. Um, all right, cool. Yeah, Brent, uh, kind of, my kind of mirrors yours a little bit. Uh, I remember seeing the commercials and the trailers for this movie on, you know, probably whatever on PIX or, you know, some station as, as a kid seeing when it was coming out in the, in theaters. I remember the tra- part of the trailer of like really centered around him committing suicide. Like that was the, in the mm-hmm. promos, like that was what they were really pushing, which watching it now, like, I mean, it's definitely a plot point, but it feels that's not like a, the plot point I think of when I think about the movie. I'd kind um, of forgotten all about that theme throughout. And obviously when you do watch it, it's steady and there and impossible to miss, but it's not, it's definitely not what, I mean, it'd been a long time since I'd seen it. It's been, it's been certainly, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe since I, since I watched it last. So uh, you know, I, I have certain memories here and there, but yeah, the, the suicide was not a, a big thing that stuck out. Well, the it's film all... title ahead, kind of the film title and, you know, pushes you toward it, but yeah, you don't right. like you look back on this, like it, they're just a couple of gags, you know, versus like really heavy things. So it's a, you know, the dark humor just uh, of those, of those specific things are there. And then it's suddenly not even an issue like halfway through the movie. So then it's, <clears throat> it's a, it's a little fascinating uh, look at, you know, the, the, the theme of this uh, for, for, a, for an angsty teen having a hard time, you know, uh, sort of living out these like dark fantasies and, uh, and almost doing things. And it's all played for comedy. So it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. We're, we'll touch on some some of the themes of the movie later and especially about, you know, its view on teen suicide. <laughs> uh but um, yeah, I didn't see it. Uh, God, I didn't see it for years after that. When I worked at Suncoast, I remember there was a couple of customers who came in very regularly, always looking for Better Off Dead. And they we had to back order it for them. It was $100. And it was like, there was no time estimate of when it was going to come. It was like, you're ordering this like from the distributor directly. They have so to make that copy for they you. They had to make the cardboard of the VHS cover. Um, Savage Steve Holland is just out there like printing copies, mailing them off. <laughs> and I remember when it finally came in, like months later, we could not reach the person who had ordered it. And they had oh. they, like they had just stopped coming in. I don't know if they moved away or something. And it just sat there 
this hundred dollar. It was in a very different box. Like it was all like these weird color, like stripes. And it was a, it was a, um, I don't know, not, not what eventually came out, but then it came out like four months later, it came out nine 10 and the $10 video that it was the 20th century Fox, like would do those $10 videos. Like point break was one of them. And um, they had a whole bunch of them, but uh, it came out there. I picked that up. And then when it came out on DVD in like 2001 or two, I was like, we were in, I was still in Santa Fe and I was obsessed. I'm like, I had, I had to get it the minute it came out and it was nowhere, nowhere in Santa Fe. Nobody had it. Best Buy didn't have it. Uh, Hastings didn't have it. Whoever else. Finally, like I, we went to borders and, and my wife, Lindsay pushed me into actually like getting somebody to go in the back and look through the boxes and see if it was there and they had one copy wow <laughs> and that was that was the dvd that i own to this day i was gonna ask do you is that still the one because it's it's damn hard still to find and yeah f- figure out how to watch it i don't know but- how long it was in print um i don't i mean maybe it maybe the dvd is still in print but it's never streaming Wh- whatever the rights issues are they've never they it's never been an easy movie except for brief periods of time to find right so you know it, it's almost always you had to like seek it and find it and it's yeah, not streaming anywhere yeah you can't stream it anywhere i mean to what i had to buy a physical copy so that i could watch it for, for the show and now don't you feel better that you own it in your collection uh, i i'm not upset that i have it as part of my collection for all the nostalgic reasons i will say that this viewing it had a different i had a different feeling walking away from it than than are we gonna are we gonna reverse joe versus the volcano this i think we have things to talk about (laughs) yeah yeah um so all right for for maybe those who don't really remember it david can you do a quick Quick plot summary. What's what's happening in this movie? What is Better Off Dead all about? Uh, John Cusack's Lane is our central figure of this film who uh, who essentially is dumped by his uh, high school girlfriend. He's also in high school. And after uh, it's set up very quickly that he was deeply, deeply into her. And then he it, his loss and grief of losing her turns to comedic uh attempts at uh ending his own life as the only way out while he lives in this bizarre world with his family uh, his little brother his mom his wacky neighbors his his rivals his his uh his enemies uh his inability to hold down a job lots of teen things going on through john cusack's lane and uh and his directionlessness uh comes to a head when he uh meets 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 the right person and maybe can turn things around and no there's more to life than uh the that that one special relationship in high school does that make sense so sold i'm there i just i just bought two tickets there you go um what's so what's happening in the the teen the teen movie world of 1985 uh this came out in 
the summer slash fall of 85, which we'll get to that later. But, you know, what was happening was John Hughes films had started coming out. And obviously he's one of the he's right at the forefront of the teen comedy, dramedy, you know, the 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 teen movie in general is uh, how do you think this compares to a John Hughes movie? It's much darker. Uh, you know, I mean, the comedies, obviously, and I think that that's probably what originally drew me to the movie and why I enjoyed it. Not that I didn't. I mean, I loved the John Hughes movies back in the day uh, when they came out, but they're they're definitely, um, I think, meant to be more lighthearted, uh, kind of more easily digestible or ingestible by by kind of mass audiences. This one seems a little bit I don't know, like it's rough around the edges. It's it's kind of one of those things where when you watch it, um, you know, it, it feels like you're seeing something that not a lot of people are seeing. Like it instantly feels like you're kind of on, in, on the inside of, of like uh, kind of an inside joke or inside, like, you know, something that somebody else doesn't know. I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of, kind of viewing experience i feel like when you walk away from it yeah it's it is a very different flavor from the john hughes movies and and the other i mean the other teen movies that were out there like karate kids out there i mean back to the future technically is a teen movie michael j fox may not have been a teen but the character of marty mcfly is and when you look at like the how teens are being portrayed and what they're situations are like this movie is very much rooted in real life issues yeah it feels more more real feels more relatable in that way even though the approach to telling the story is less grounded you know i mean there's it's absurd yeah there's uh, there's several absurd elements and and you know a lot of cut scenes to to 2D animation or even stop motion and things that, you know, uh, weren't being used in that way heavily uh, in, in like the romantic comedy genre at the time. Yeah. And it's, it's got an edginess and I mean, it's certainly very different. It's very bizarre. It's, it takes your standard when you look at what the issues are and the themes, like they're pretty straightforward teen issues right but it takes a whole different spin on it and gets very bizarre and strange and surreal uh it's just a, a, a different angle from what john hughes i mean it's almost the same kind of movie it's just a totally different angle you right. know you you could see lane like existing in the world of the breakfast club you know going to that high school I mean, I just want to say it's like the theater kids version of a John Hughes. <laughs> what does that movie. mean? I don't theater know. You know, like version. it's like that's how I feel about it. I mean, and I say that I was a theater kid in in high school, and when I loved this movie, and it's just like it's kind of it's it just feels dramatic, but from a high school drama standpoint, you know. And I just I don't know. It reminds me a lot of of like 
hanging out with the theater kids in high school, like just some of the, the silliness and kind of getting caught up in certain things. And I don't know, huh. that's just my kind of takeaway af after having seen it so many times and not again for such a long time. Well, like, yeah, John Hughes was trying to encapsulate feelings through, you know, very specific characters and all that. And this is capturing, like, even though there's absurdness there's, and bizarre, that that's teen, live, when you're a teenager, the world becomes very bizarre very quickly when you start to understand things with, like, uh, a little more in depth. And it's like, you know, you have a certain understanding of the world as a child. And then as a teen where you're rocked with uh, hormones and emotions like things just start to make no sense and you just sort of have to live with it. And I think that's sort of what Holland was, is sort of always about. It's just sort of the, there's, you have to navigate this, this world and uh, it's, it gets weird <laughs> and you can be weird. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, so the, the, there's a, like you said, it's similar in themes. It's like, it's, it's almost, it's the same kind of story. It's just told in a, a different way. And, and this movie sets it up perfectly from the opening sequence where we see just how obsessed Lane is with his girlfriend. Um, that the absurdity is, 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 is starts with him in, as well. Right. So you get, all right, you're already like implanted in the world through him. He's not just the normal kid and everyone else is crazy. He's also as absurd as the rest of them but we just we go on his journey alone yeah and, and that's you're right david you see it immediately and and it, it in that first scene where you're tracking across his room and you see his room is like littered with pictures of his girlfriend yeah. which who who doesn't do that and i mean it's not even a bunch it's the entire i mean it's yeah. hundreds of them that's what's just so amazing about it right and his his wardrobe closet is all like <laughs> yeah her like she's on the hangers right yeah <laughs> like she's wearing his clothes yeah it's just so strange and we we keep saying his girlfriend but of course that was uh amanda weiss playing amanda Wiss, yeah Wiss yep. playing beth yeah beth so um, who, who we yeah. know from, you know, we'll talk about the cast later, but who we know yeah. from a nightmare on Elm street. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. One of the coolest little, I feel like one of those extra little Easter eggs in this movie that I, that I liked was, you know, the scene where she comes up at, at the dance and the kid standing behind her is wearing a sweater that is very, very similar to Freddy Krueger's sweater. Ah, uh, uh, -huh, uh, huh. Yeah. A little, little nod there. Well, yeah. Nod. Yeah, every almost every single scene in this movie has something like some kind of weird, bizarre twist. Some of it is part of the plot and some doesn't make any sense at all. Like there's and you could like you can, there's a laundry list of them. There's the scene where he's in the cafeteria trying to uh, hit on Chris Cummings, the cheerleader, the basketball mm -hmm. cheerleader. And he's in line. They're in line uh, at the cafeteria. And the guy behind him is standing super close to him. He's like right behind him, sunglasses on, holding a fork like a weapon. Yeah, and like ready to stab. Yeah. And there's no like reason that he's there. It's just one of those things. And you really see it when they walk away, like what the guy was doing. And it's just bizarre. And there's the movie is filled with it and all over the place. And some, some are very obvious and some are really subtle. So um, but it's it's. 
you know, and each character has their own kind of insanity, like insane world that they live in that is normal to them, I guess, but then, or quote unquote normal, but to the viewer, it's like, what are we watching here? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like the movie is very bizarre that way. And I think the more you see it, there's just more and more to see each time you watch it. So I can see, you know, that being said, you know, it does feel very much like a product of the eighties. Um, yeah. Not that those issues don't speak to people today. I think that some of those themes are going to always be there for teenagers, but you know, I, I think because it's so bizarre that, I can see people not enjoying the movie now because it's, it's really like you're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. Mm. Do you mean someone who's like never seen it before? Yeah. 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 For a first time viewer, especially like if you're an eighties fan and maybe a Cusack fan, and this is your first time watching it, you might, you might be into it. But if you're not, if you're just putting on a movie, this you might need to be in a specific. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I don't know how well it translates over to like today's audiences. You know, I mean, there's right. just a there's a number of different things that probably don't hold up very well just in general, but like also just kind of context and mm-hmm. you know everything of of the time. You know, like I just don't think I would agree with you, John. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that people would like new viewers would really get it. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I, I've got a very like deep attachment with this movie. The first couple of times I saw it, I was in like a really like dark emotional place, and this movie helped kind of like bring me out of it. It just br- brought me, I don't know, just just a a sense of whimsy is not the right word, but but it just kind of like snapped me out of it and mm-hmm. and you shook me a little bit and and I could just kind of have fun with it. So for me personally, that that's, I'll always have a love for this movie, mm-hmm. but uh, anyway, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about where it came from. And there's not, there's not a huge amount of information out there about this movie. It's, it's, you know, it comes from the mind of savage Steve Holland, who is now a, uh, I believe he's a, big director of like disney kids shows yeah disney nickelodeon he does a lot of he does a lot of those like uh what are some of them like henry danger iCarly. like he was involved in some of those um i i think he's doing there's a new one um you did lizzie mcguire sure yeah yeah oh that show that That small show some of those Oh man, yeah, look at that. He's had, I mean, so he's had such a that's really his main career. You know, these first couple of movies that were not successful and have a cult following, even including One Crazy Summer, you know, that like that really didn't work for him. But it's it's you know, that whole phase of his career where he became the the director for for the kids' shows in the the later stages, that's where his real probably financial success came from. I don't know if creatively how much that does for him. I mean, he's clearly he's an artist and had a a vision, at least in the early part of his career that um, I don't know if that's, you know, what's driving what he's doing today, but I'm happy to see he's still out there doing stuff. 
Yeah, I think the bulk of I mean the bulk of his career he's been relatively successful with with those those kind of young teen shows. Yeah. Well, in the early 90s I was I was um I was still watching Saturday morning cartoons but very a very curated thing of Saturday morning cartoons which is not a thing that exists anymore. Um but uh Eek the Cat was a show on Fox. Yep, bizarre and funny, and I loved it. I and I had never put it together that, like, I saw Savage Steve Holland's name on that the credits of that all the time, but I had not put together that he had done One Crazy Summer and Better Off Dead, which I adored. So it it's it and then it, like it clicked like the animated sequences from those movies, uh, and then the animation style of that show, and the fact that like he kind of like. He did the whammies on Pressure Luck, I think. Like, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's like oh yeah, this he's he was all over the the eighties for me and like and uh, and all that and the like and just that one show, uh, the early uh, the early nineties. So big fan of uh, Savage. Yeah that that animation style. I mean that's that's where he came from. He he studied animation at Cal Arts and that was his that was his field really. Um, yeah. You know, and that's a very specific animation look. So, uh, you know, when you say that, you know, press your luck. Of course, like that, I can see it right, right away. That that's yeah, yeah. that's him for sure. And yeah. Eat the Cat was a great show. Oh, one of the best. <laughs> I adore that show. I don't think I ever saw. I don't think I ever saw that. It's really funny. <laughs> was it? Was that on the same kind of the same era as The Tick? Yeah, basically. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, you know, 1992, I'm watching Batman, the animated series. I'm watching X-Men. I'm watching Eat the Cat. I'm watching The Tick. Yes. And like, these are, these are not your, these are not the, the shows of the, uh, of the eighties, like that were a little more like action figure heavy and, and like, you know, really for kids, kids, you know, this is, this is for like 10 and up like well it was aging it was like the shows were aging with us as we got older the shows got a little bit more dynamic Mm -hmm. you know yeah Yeah. it wasn't about like the care bears doing a bunch of stuff it was but and oh and eek the cat had a take on the care bears actually oh my god (laughs) they had the squishy bears (laughs) (laughs) we Uh, should we should pull those up let's get six random episodes of eek the cat and have a uh, a crew screening for the uh, Recon Cinema Studios crew. Sure, the back lot folks. We'll see if Steve if, if Savage can make his way over. Yeah, that'd be dope. Well, and and he got that name like he always goes by to this day, Savage Steve Holland. Like that's yeah. that's his name. Yeah. Uh, he got that I guess from when he was a kid. He kicked a kid in the teeth in soccer, as one Ooh. does. It can happen. <laughs> as yeah. Uh, it, Accidents do happen. They do. Savage. It was savage. Kid savage. Yeah. He was so savage. <laughs> so, which doesn't really go along with like the rest of his career, but you know, the name stuck. So, right. So, Better Off Dead is his first movie, right? Yeah. He had done some short films, uh, one of which was seen by Henry Winkler. It was had, the uh, 11, 11 year old, 11 year birthday, 11 birthday year old party. Birthday? Yeah. 11 Something year like old that? birthday party, I think. Yeah. Um, 
which, you know, Henry Winkler after happy days had really moved into producing and wasn't acting as much. He did here and there, but uh, he thought, you know, Savage Steve Holland had a lot of talent. He saw something in him and sort of mentored him a little bit. And he's the one who introduces him to John Cusack, who at the time is really, this is the very beginning of his career. And he was not a name yet. Uh, he had made appearances in class, 16 Candles, Grandview USA. And the, the sure thing was, was, I think, his first leading role, uh, which was directed by Rob Reiner. So Cusack was a tough sell for the studios. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a name. He wasn't um, the, you know, uh, who was up and coming at this time. Sean Penn, Tom Cruise was out there. I think Rob Lowe was like just starting all that, that whole Brat Pack and Brat Pack related uh, group of actors uh, but Cusack was really like very much a side secondary character, especially in right. 16 Candles. Right. But I, th- I think that studios were starting to recognize or they could see kind of the charm and charisma that he could add, especially to a character like Lane. Right. So, yeah. so the casting, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there were others that were kind of up for the part as well, but um, you know, I think, because well, because of Henry Winkler and his involvement early on, even though even though Winkler bowed out from producing it ultimately, uh, because he had, you know, clout, it kind of stuck, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, you know, to this day, that's how you know it's all about the connections and yeah. and you know, getting people to where if somebody supports them and is behind them and has some name you know, value that they can really help your career along. And so we, John we Hughes act should thank Henry Winkler and, and I guess John Hughes uh, for his start. So amongst yeah. others, but uh, right. Thanks Fonzie. <laughs> who else, who could you guys have seen from this era in this, the mid eighties, who could you see playing Lane Meyer? Is there anybody else that, that jumps? I mean, out? there's, there's two names that jump out kind of <laughs> to me. Matthew Same. Broderick. Matthew Broderick. That's yep. Right. Like is the easy one. But I <laughs> yeah. also was thinking John Cryer. Mm. Um, Cryer, yeah. He had been in a movie just the year before with Demi Moore called um No Small Affair. And so, like, he didn't have quite the charm and and charisma that or you know, it definitely less uh kind of like that dark humor edge than that John Cusack had. Uh, but he could have, he could have done a pretty good job. Yeah. I think, uh, that's, that's a good one. That's yeah. Matthew yeah. Broderick's the easy one. That's for, that was the first thing that popped in my head. Um, and that would have worked, I'm sure. But yeah. Yeah. Crier. Interesting. I like a crier. Sure. Yeah. What about, uh, we talked about him last August. What about Andrew McCarthy? Oh, McCarthy would be great in this. Because he's yeah. he can ride that line of serious or kind of wacky, silly comedy yeah. that we we saw on Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, it'd be yeah. a good... Uh, his would be a, a good interpretation uh, of this. I'd like to see. I would I would have watched that. Some others, I mean, who was getting big at that time? <clears throat> Rob Lowe might have been 
I don't know if at the time he could have handled the comedy as well. Later on, yeah, but back yeah. then, maybe, maybe not. He was still taking himself pretty serious then. Like, yeah. Getting, getting started, like he was, he was the heartthrob kind of romantic hunk. But to 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 use a term that that's used in this movie, hunk. Yeah. How about a Scott Bayo? Scott Bayo. Maybe. Maybe. Scott Scott Bayo could have done it. Come on. Charles in charge. Yeah. Uh yeah. Scott Bayo's uh no good. <laughs> oh. Okay. All right. He's been vetoed. Yeah. <laughs> He's out. He's not allowed on the line. But uh I don't know. Like uh, Emilio Estevez? No, probably not. Charlie Com- Sheen? Charlie mm. Sheen. I again I don't know. He, he did comedy great in Hot Shots, but this part of his career, this is like Red Dawn Charlie Sheen. I don't think right. so. I mean, yeah. are we just naming all the guys that have like dark hair and kind of all look exactly the same? Tom Cruise. <laughs> like, yep. Who, Tom who's Cruise blonde? Be- Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, I think Cusack's perfect though. Like he's just, yeah. I mean, as as his, I mean, if you know, you you watch his other movies and like just the sensibilities uh, that you you expect from him and his and his characters like really play re- super well, even as early as Better Off Dead. So I think yeah. he's a, I think he's great casting for the for the role. It's interesting because I guess he hated the movie. Well, that comes later. That comes. Right. That doesn't come until the release, and and ties in with one crazy summer, but uh, yeah. which we'll get to. But yeah, yeah. I mean, he has so much charm. You know, the the Cusack of today is obviously. I mean, he's he's much older, and it's very different kind of Cusack than the earlier part of his career. And yeah, the romantic comedy Cusack. He was so good at. I don't know. Like he wasn't your traditional leading man. He wasn't a macho kind of like hunk guy. He was very, um, he looked like, I don't know. I felt like he looked very human. He looked like uh, a regular guy. Yeah. And I'm always drawn to that and not like the movie star, you know, quality that, um, and he was able to ride that line of like that silly comedy, but sort of heartfelt emotions this is much more into the silly comedy side of things, but underneath it, like he still as an actor has to be playing those notes of what is really going on with Lane Meyer. Mm. Hmm. So I think he's perfect. Perfect casting. What if, but what if we, Hugh Jackman back? He He's only two years younger than John Cusack. <laughs> So what Jackman, if, what, uh, if, what if we got Wolverine in here? <laughs> well, there would have been some musicals, some some <laughs> songs and dance uh, numbers. He would have got into the the whole the whole animated, you know, and Halen stuff. <laughs> there would have been a tap dance number with claws. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if we. If, I don't know if if he was uh, acting professionally back in '85. Maybe not. I don't. Th- I don't. Yeah. I really probably don't remember school. seeing him until X Men. Yeah, I mean, he's Australian, right? He's probably hitting the Australian scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Back then, so he'd have to. We'd have to pluck him, pluck him out of time. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait on on old Hugh for uh, till later on. He barely barely slides into the the era of this podcast. Absolutely, just barely. 
But um, all right, so let's talk about the movie itself. So there's there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot of you know we've already been talking about it the 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 themes of the teen comedy. But let's talk about how this movie portrays it. So you know you've got a lot of heavy issues, and like in another world, <laughs> this movie would be very dark and very serious and. You know, was it was the Netflix show 13, 13 reasons why yeah. it would be that that's yeah. very dark and very serious. Yeah, that's like the heaviest version of Better Off Dead. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yep. Did you yeah. see it? That, that's the uh... I, I don't even think you can compare the two, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, other than the fact that they both. I mean, one is certainly about suicide and this one certainly is driven by by the theme of of Lane trying to commit suicide for comedic uh scene but man 13 reasons why is intense dude i actually have not seen it all the way through i've seen like i don't know a couple of episodes and i yeah. stopped but but that was the subtitle that was the tagline was <laughs> 13 reasons yeah. why the heaviest version of, of better, better off, off dead. dead you could possibly imagine better off dead too <laughs> um but yeah obviously teen suicide is a is a real issue uh you know all of us have have battled you know those heavy feelings when you're growing up and you're going through a lot of changes and when you start in the the dating world and you know your first love and and a lot of times that just ends in the disaster because nobody knows how to yeah i mean each other yet high school's awkward right like yeah. it's very emotionally driven your world is small everything seems larger than life you know it's really easy to get caught up in those emotions thinking that you know this is all it is and you know it's it's a miracle any of us got out <laughs> it really is like because of how heavy, at least I'm, I'm just going to speak from my own, you know, situation, like those feelings were so heavy and so constant. It is amazing that, that, yeah, man. you know, you it's get hard. through it. It's hard. If you don't have a support group, you don't have people to talk to. Um, how do you, how do you do it? You know, it's, it's, for me, it was, uh, it was like getting out of New York, getting away from everybody and creating space, meeting you, Brent, meeting a whole new group of people with open mentalities in a like new place was how I was able to like keep myself sane, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's just it, right? Uh, once you're out of high school, you're at least afforded the opportunity to to go off and experience more of life and realize that your world isn't just this small little section of, of, of where you are, you know, I mean, it's, everything is kind of at your fingertips. You can do uh, whatever you want. You're going to meet so many different people. You're going to learn so many new different things. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of tunnel vision and a lot of, feeling the pressure of your current situation, you know, when you're, when you're 15, 16, 17. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And your, your world is so compared to what m most people's worlds become later on, like your world is so narrow. 
Right. You know, there's so there's so much less you're actually dealing with it that everything seems so much heavier. But you don't know that. You don't know that till later. Nope. Um, and Lane is completely obsessed with Beth and is his whole life and her rejection of him for Stalin, the like school bully who's like 40 years old. <laughs> um, the uh, is just devastating for him to the point where he is willing to attempt suicide. How many times? Four times, I think, in the movie. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. something. But uh, he's really bad at it, though. He's re- well, and he changes his mind like at the last moment. Yeah. <laughs> He's just on the brink and it's like you're, the, the thought is serious, but it, are you serious about the act? And obviously, um, you know, he he uh, stops himself, but ends up like getting into these crazy situations anyway. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's obviously suicide is the big thing, but that that, you know, is really only in the first half of the movie. Once he once he befriends Monique, played by Diane Franklin, who, you know, we've actually interacted with a few of these cast members on, on our social medias, Diane Franklin, Amanda Wiss. Um, so that's cool. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and Diane Franklin, who we, we saw in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure last year. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, once he befriends her, it's like he his priorities shift and his thought he's not, I don't, he's not like in love with her right away, but it at least is able to shake him out of the suicide and, and being obsessed with Beth and more about Stalin and the K 12 and, and uh, that side of things. So, well, yeah, there's this like, you know, there's all, this whole other thing of this rivalry with Stalin who Beth starts sort of dating, but like not exactly, but they are. And uh, so then, you know, this Stalin is this alpha male that he has to confront. And the only one of the things Lane is kind of good at is skiing. Um, and he, you know, he tries to join the ski team. Uh, but and and you know, Stalin kind of screws him out of it and all that. And then, it, then they ha- then there's the challenge like, this is it that they're gonna, they're gonna figure it all out on the slopes, they're gonna settle it on the slopes of the K-12. Um, and Stalin isn't even really that bad of a guy. Like tech really, he's not, he's not terrible. Well, like, he's, he's, he's kind he's of a just, jerk. He's just yeah. kind of an idiot, but yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he's kind of, I mean, from what we see of him, he's, he's basically the school bully, the school I mean, jock he is, slash bully. He is definitely, he is definitely mean to lane, right? Like he does poke fun at him. And uh, I forget the like nickname. He, he, oh, Oscar yeah, Meyer. Right. Oscar Mayer and, Oscar and all Meyer. that, you know, I mean, he's definitely, yeah, he's a bully. He's picking yeah. on him, but I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty there's, lame. Like there's it, yeah, exactly. It's a very lame bully. Yeah. Uh, we've seen worse in, yeah. in movies for sure. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's just more annoying than anything else. It really? Yeah. Like he's kind of a goof. Right. As far as bullies go, like you yeah. said, we've seen, much much worse out there well he's just like super cliche you know he's like a terrible singer playing guitar at the lunch table and you're just like come on guy like you're just the worst yeah like you're that, such you're such a pile of garbage him singing with the guitar like serenading beth is oh, 
you just it's almost in the background but yeah it's it's like if you listen to the words but it's, it's terrible it's, it's so bad <laughs> um yeah i mean there's 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 a few different plot points going on that's the, the suicide his obsession with beth is one his uh rivalry with with uh stalin is another and then you've got this whole other storyline with monique and her uh being a foreign exchange student and living with um with uh what's his name Rand, randy ricky R- ricky, uh, ricky, ricky across the street now that's where we get into some kind of risque territory because i think it's even worse that the character is played by dan schneider who in real life has like you know was yeah. released from his work in mm. at nickelodeon because of suspicious behavior and you know i mean it's it's just like that part does not like play or age well at all and in this it's like i forget the term that i read a couple different times but basically like sex slavery you yeah. know for monique and it's mm-hmm. just a weird like i mean there's a couple there's a couple things in the movie that are like this but this is definitely by far the kind of the the one that is kind of the most egregious and you're like man that is just super whack yeah it's kind of gross like because yeah she she's a foreign exchange student so and then so ricky's mother uh is just trying you know she's trying to play it up like she wants her she wants this uh this french girl to be with her son ricky and he's right she's his little angel he's her little angel and all that and he's kind of he's just a creep and he's a creepy dude and it doesn't get into it it's implied that like they're they're much creepier than they are like you don't see too much like but otherwise he just comes off as like a weirdo creep yeah but it's obvious that they like and like and wants and yeah and it's like well she's there because so because she's there then she's there for him like right right right. and it's yeah and it's obvious that they're putting her in like yeah they don't go into detail about like what all is is happening in the house or anything you know yeah Yeah. but they're certainly monitoring who she's with and where what her whereabouts are for at least up until you know her and lane really start to to spend time together but breaking through that kind of restraint you know of them trying to just keep her for ricky you know, yeah. it's it's super awkward and really yeah. kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't go into detail of like what's happening behind closed <clears> doors, <throat> but you can tell at a minimum that he's trying to force either force himself on her or force her to engage with him, which it seems like I always read it that she's been resistant to it, that she hasn't actually maybe hasn't actually done it, but the pressure's on for sure. Yeah, I, I yeah. kind of read it that way as well. I mean, if it's not that, then it's even more even disturbing. Darker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I think I think the idea was like they real not they really want to convince her, like Rick, you know, you should be with right. Him. He's, you know, he's I I it, there I don't I never read any kind of implication that like they did something criminal and <laughs> no, but he is still like all over, you know, like oh, sure, anytime sure. they're together, like he's like putting his hands or on her right? he's real handsy and it's yeah. just real like very inappropriate the ownership yeah. of her right and she's yeah. faking you know she's pretending that she doesn't understand english at all and we find out yeah. you know towards the end that she does she speaks it she understands it she's smart 
She's great, smart, great French accent by Diane Franklin. She did wonderful. She's also a great mechanic. <laughs> Side hobby. She's dope. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of one of the darker ones. There's also a couple of other things that you kind of have to look into. I mean, there's a flashback sequence to where where Lane and Beth are, you know, parked in a car at a park, you know, one night and they're having sex in the car where his condom breaks. Mm. And what does that mean? Does that mean did he get her pregnant? Did she have an abortion? We don't know. They don't really say, but it's kind of left hanging out there. Yeah. I mean, in most movies in the 80s, if you were having sex without a condom, the, the girl ended up pregnant. So, yeah. I mean, look at Fast Times uh, yeah. at Regiment High, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of another heavy thing that, that is not a big plot point. I mean, it's barely a plot point at all. It's just, it's just there and something that really jumped out at me. And then, you know, another thing is Curtis Armstrong, who plays, you know, his best friend, Lane's best friend, who's trying to motivate him and coach him, you know, to ski the K-12 is like a complete drug addict. He's in his eighth oh. year of high school. And he's yeah. snorting everything, anything he can find. Yeah, I mean, the whole that this. Th- so the, these are parts of the reason that the movie doesn't hold up as well for me. Like, oh, that doesn't I hold mean, up. <laughs> well, no, I mean, this it, it feeds into there's several things. We've touched on many of them already. But we'll sure get into. Everyone's I got a druggy friend, but, though. From but like, years. it's just so over the top. Like he's sitting on the top of the mountain. He's like this is pure snow. And it's like, dude, this is just not funny. Like it's just (laughs) Curtis Armstrong sells it for me. I think he's hilarious. Yeah. It's just not, it doesn't work for me. And maybe I've seen it too many times, or maybe it's just like, I'm just not in the same headspace as I was in high school when I watched this and first adored it. But it's like a lot of those like silly things that I would have just been like totally fine with back in the day. I just kind of found them a little annoying this time around. Oh, fair enough. I saw it as a product of, you know, there's always, I mean, regardless of any, anyone's personal use of things, there's always someone who's doing it more, you know, into mm-hmm. more drugs and all of that. And like, you know, it doesn't really affect his relationship with like Lane's relationship with them. I mean, like he doesn't care, you know, like, yeah, no, they're, they're so he's, it, and he's so, and, and he's another absurd character. Like, yeah, like you know, the street value of of all the snow on the mountain, real like, snow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I just think it's the absurdity in general. For whatever reason, like, just doesn't. I don't know. Like, yeah, it doesn't hit the same for me. Well, that and that and that's the thing about this movie is mm-hmm. is you're either going to be like okay with this stuff or you're not because it's very it is yeah. very silly. I mean, to me, like for his storyline, it worked for me. It, it I yeah. laughed at it. I didn't take it seriously, but the, I I saw the note underneath it that this is a guy with a major problem who's sure. can't get out of high school and is you know probably already done all the drugs that he's now looking outside to normal yeah. things snorting jello <laughs> snorting yeah. literal snow like and what's with curtis armstrong playing uh characters who use their nose for things so yeah is that a, was also that, that famously no famously as booger from revenge of the nerds which yeah. oh, right, right, right. is probably the most offensive of the 80s 
Yeah. Well, I want to come porkies. Put I don't want to cover that. Put a pin in Revenge of the Nerds for a minute. I want. I do want to come back to that because there's sure. there's a way it relates to this movie. Um, mm. Revenge. Yeah, Revenge of the Nerds is like. I, I I don't even know how we could cover it because it's just and everyone knows it. Like that's a movie that is just kind just of unwatchable. Does... Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it, it... it was enjoyable from a youth mentality growing up with it but now like seeing what is actually going on in that movie there's just, it is it's just grossly offensive and yeah. not not it's just not appropriate yeah things it's just yeah well what's gross is that at one point it was like well, sure. that's you know yeah. like even even that people that made okay. that movie <laughs> i know people made that movie it was successful it has like four sequels yeah and like it was what we call a franchise TV show, maybe? I don't know. I don't know if it did it have a T it may have. No, I don't think so. I think just a bunch of you know shitty sequels. An animated series. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh my on god. on uh I wouldn't doubt it. On adult swim. Yeah. No, it was Saturday morning rotation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. It's it's kind of surprising that didn't get a Saturday morning cartoon, but yeah. Um could have wow. But what about the other the other women in the in the movie? You you know, Beth is kind of unfortunately a, a sort of a one note character that you know she's portrayed as a shallow person who just goes for stalin because he's the like stud um but you don't you know the movie but the, are there are there any women in the movie that aren't kind of one-dimensional other than monique no i think they're all there are women characters like the mother that i absolutely love but she's still super still like, I feel like she's note. only, yeah. you know, like it's just one thing with her. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. that's it. Monique's the only, you know, dynamic character and the rest are, are, are cartoons. Like, and yeah. like most of the characters in this movie are cartoons. So, right. So for Lane's mom played by Kim Darby. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like Beth, I mean, I think like Beth is sort of like, it's not like she's like a villain though. Like, you know, she just right. like, she decides like she's not into lane anymore and breaks it off, like kind of clean. Right. So, and then it's not like she's too manipulative or anything. She, it almost seemed like she went to go be with Roy Stalin, but like, she's, she's like, she can kind of do whatever she wants, like, you know? And even though he's sort of taking possession of her and singing to her in a little bit, I don't know. She seems like kind of like a normal person normal person but then well, yeah when you see those flashback scenes it's like you know where they first meet each other at the park and which is yeah. i think a great scene of like yeah. you know one of them touches their nose so the other thinks there's something on their nose like yeah who, has, who hasn't gone through that you know yeah it's, it's a great little scene it's yeah just, uh, it's really funny so uh but yeah like but yeah you don't get so much and then like again his obsession with her like kind of clouds it so then like we kind of are supposed to not like her because she broke his heart kind of as the and, script demands it. Yeah. And and that being said, it's nothing about the performances of any of these actors. Like they do a great job. It's sort of the notes of the characters that we're talking about. So yeah, yeah they just don't have, they, I mean, they played the part they were given. Right. right? Um, we've got some kind of racial stereotypes happening in the movie. Just some, a, yeah. a couple like, what do you mean? with the uh <laughs> oh do tell 
the I feel first... like I can't even say the characters' names because even the names of the characters to me seem yeah like, right. Well, so the two, let's just say the two gentlemen who have the the Howard uh, Cosell, the Howard Cosell uh, sort of, I guess, obsessed uh, rivals of Lane who only meet each other when they drive up to the same intersection and they have a, of this race, this back and forth rate car race mm-hmm. um, that one of those actors is from Karate Kid 2, I believe. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yuji yeah. Okum- Okumaru. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those characters are supposed to be I guess I don't know if they're foreign exchange students or just you know foreigners who've moved here who only learned English through watching and listening to Howard Cosell yeah the wide world of sports yeah right so what does that say about them uh, yeah I, I mean yeah you're right it's not it's not quite fair to like sort of put them in but man that Howard Cosell impression is really funny it's really good (laughs) and it's actually I think it's actually Rich Little who does the uh that the voiceover Uh, for that yeah that would make sense yeah uh I mean and it's not it's not unheard of that that uh you know people would migrate to the United States and would learn how to they'd learn the language watching television like that that happens you know Oh, yeah. I, th- I, I, I just think that, you know, in, in the context of the movie, like it's a little, could be not considered uh, sensitive, you know, yeah. and, and how the portrayal is, is kind of. Well, and, but, and later at the end, when he has the final, when Lane has the final race with them, when he's fixed up his car, him and Monique yeah. have fixed up his car and he just like kicks their ass you know, what are they doing? They're in the car eating Chinese food. You know, it's just, it's just, Mm. it's subtle, but it's just one of those things like, uh, you know, that could have probably could have in today's world would have been done differently. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got the, what are they? Telephone repair men. Uh, one of which is played Uh, by Stephen Williams, who is, the police uh, captain from 21 jump street and the great actors on the X files and like tons of other shows and movies. Right. Um, when lane is attempting suicide uh, by jumping off a bridge into like oncoming what free, you know, freeway traffic, the uh, you know, they're like, he, he decides not to do it, but his, his buddy Curtis Armstrong pats him on the back and knocks him off. And he falls into a, a garbage truck. And what do they say? Like, uh, you know, getting rid of a perfectly good white boy. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, away, a perfectly good white boy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know, that doesn't uh, come across so well in today's climate either. Who is that supposed to who would who does that offend? Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm not sure. I, I, I kind of get it's a little weird, but. Yeah, I like, don't get like, I, is it offensive? Like, because no, I've read, I read somewhere else that it's kind of not politically correct and insensitive. But like, I don't, I, I guess I just don't know who that particular line. Well, like, like offends. maybe I, I think maybe that it's the only thing that they're going to comment on. You know, the black characters is has to be race related. Mm. Yeah, maybe. You know, they couldn't have made some other joke. Like, it had to be about. Yeah. You know, skin color. 
I'm throwing yeah. away a perfectly good white boy. I don't know. I yes. think it's funny. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. I am sure Sorry. it is not quite okay. appropriate. It's good to note. You probably wouldn't write that joke today. But I mean, you? look, on on some on there I th- I think part of what's out there in looking back at a lot of these movies that especially I don't know, it feels like especially like pre pre nineties stuff is Anything that is race related is going to get have the spotlight put on it. And, yeah, there's going to be extra scrutiny. Right. And right? is this like the most offensive thing? Absolutely not. You know, it's it does feel like a fairly minor thing, but it's going to get called out now. Yeah. Well, and like the basketball team, is there any white people on the basketball team? There are. You know, yeah. and all okay. this coming from three white guys. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> But, um, jocks are not portrayed very well, you know. You no. this- they're like eating baby food. Did you guys notice yeah. that? Yeah, like, that's all they. That's all they ate. Was and they kind of just grunt, like they're all just yeah. like they're just like, <laughs> they're just mindless jocks. Well, so much of this is so autobiographical. Like this is this really comes from the mind and the heart of of Savage Steve Holland, and and this is stuff that he experienced in one way or right. another in in high school. Many of us have, but right. clearly, like. Is- embellished for yeah. comedic reasons right but yeah right. absolutely right like that's his view on jocks i think we know you know probably how he felt back then about them yeah um but you know all those things being said i still find i really enjoy the movie at the heart of it is you know, I, I'm always drawn. I'm a sucker for the John Cusack romantic uh, comedy films. Mm, and some yeah. of which are more drama and some are more comedy. I know but, Serendipity is one of your favorites. So hey, I just watched I just watched that. I, I know you did. It was again. Uh, yeah, that was tough. But <laughs> oh, and, and oh, America's Sweethearts. That was I haven't seen that one to be real. I that was uh, there was some. I watched those like back to back a few months ago and America's sweethearts. There was a couple of things. Billy crystal drives me nuts. So I think like that was uh, the thing. Him and that, Richard Dreyfus hanging out well, together. on your I, couch. I used to love Billy crystal and personally, I don't have anything personal against him, but his style of comedy is, has just not aged for me. Like it's very old school style and just isn't funny anymore at all. I I tried to rewatch City Slickers not too long ago, and yeah, it fell it fell kind of flat. It's oh. it, it's kind of like certain Mel Brooks movies, like that is a very particular. Some of them are real hard to watch. Some of them are really really hard to watch. Um, it's like this is my my note of comedy. This is what I do, and. You know, that when you do it that specifically, it doesn't always. Hit. I mean, even Seinfeld, you know, there's a lot of stuff in rewatching some of those that just is is uh, mostly sexist and, and racist. But mm-hmm. yeah, but some of it still works anyway, sidetracking. But um, I don't know. I, I think at the heart of the movie is the the relationship side and the issues with Beth and the pivoting to Monique. And, and that's kind of what I'm drawn to. And, and I enjoy like the really absurd stuff in this movie. I think that's what makes it special because it's so, you know, we we're talking about comparing them with the, this, with the John Hughes movies. And, and this is just such a different take. And 
the animated sequences and the weird dream sequences that are totally silly, but um, give it a much different flavor. There are certain elements to this. Like I, I do like the relationship between Cusack and, and Diane Franklin. Like I like that part that to me in this latest viewing might've been kind of the part that I've, I enjoyed the most. I, I do think that some of the absurd stuff just doesn't hold up for me as much. And I'm, I think just where I'm at, you know, like I said, I was a theater kid. When I first saw this, like I was, you know, kind of dark and brooding and similar to the, you know, Lane character and mental, like, like yeah. where my mental state was. So like, I could relate to it a lot more. And I, I'm less there now as I've, as I've gotten older and I've seen this movie so many times. So I, I just don't relate to it as much. It doesn't, hit as much as it used to. I, I still enjoy it. I like some of the absurdity. I like the different platforms that uh, Savage Steve Holland uh, uses, you know, like I like that he incorporates the animation. I like that Lane interacts with the, his animations. Yeah. You know, I think that those parts are really fun. Uh, the stop motion stuff is great. I yeah. like that a lot. Um, it reminded so, me of, what was it the California the California raisins? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Like could have actually been done by the same yeah house, yeah. you know, that did the stop motion, like very similar styles. Um, so I mean, I, I like a lot of it, but you know, when I was younger, this was like one of my favorite movies, and it just like after watching it recently, like it just certainly. I, like I noticeably felt less attached to it. Sure. And I was like, huh, this just doesn't still enjoyed it. Still would recommend people watch it. Um, but it's not. Yeah. It Do just doesn't speak to you anymore. Not, not in the, the same way. way. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, you know, there's still other running gags and absurd elements. The paper boy, meaning that. Oh, $2. yeah. Let, let's, Everybody, let's, okay. let's get that out of one, that. But, that's the one. See, like that's, that's the, the one, one that when, when you mention when you mention no. this to 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 people, I feel like that's the one that always two dollars. Like yeah. that's I want my two dollars. Yeah. Um, but you got that. You got his his oh geez. The brother, uh, his his brother, yes, like his that brother right. storyline. His little brother is like who never speaks. Well, for well, hold on before you go. The I want my $2 thing is I think that's brilliant. And the way that joke, like oh, that mm -hmm. kid, he's a paper boy obsessed with getting his, his pay for like a month's worth of uh, newspaper deliveries. And he just keeps coming back and he's like so serious and mm -hmm. where he shows up, like <laughs> it becomes these action chase sequences and him getting the way he gets rid of him. Lane gets rid of the paper boy is so yeah. hilarious like he, he goes inside a car wash and he like washes away and then uh, you know he's chasing him like the big ski chase at the end where he's chasing him down yeah and then gets thrown like stalin ends up knocking him off the the mountain and he right. goes pummeling off the side of the mountain and then it, quickly you see like he's okay you know yeah and then the last right. shot of the movie is you know they have that beautiful shot at dodger stadium where Lane and and Monique are kissing on on uh, sitting on the hood of his car, and you see as it as it like you know the helicopter shot moves back, 
you see the him riding his bike at full speed like across <laughs> Dodger Stadium at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just I, I love that that gag. But yeah, a uh, big fan. I think yeah. that 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 resonates through the decades. <laughs> yeah, so everyone classic. loves that one. The brother, the younger brother, who has no dialogue in the entire None. movie. Yeah, is masterminding this whole plan of building a rocket ship <laughs> and and what was it how to attract like sleazy girls or something Tra- trashy, trashy girl yeah something like that and um, so yeah like he and he and he has like a legitimate laser gun that he you know shoots uh and all that so like lane just doesn't understand his little brother at all like and and he's and his little brother's you know he's got three like trashy women in his bedroom and he's entertaining them and the door closes and he's just yeah. like well okay like there's nothing Lane can do like um, yeah, he builds that- this rocket he builds this rocket out of like coupons that he clips out of cereal boxes like it's yeah. bananas yeah and then the the very like during the credit sequence we see the rocket taking off from the house and going yeah. into outer space straight up space shuttle like from nasa yeah but like no. everything inside the meyer house is bananas and bizarre and there are four people who live in that house who who seem to know nothing about each other mm-hmm. and you know have all these quirks i love the parents both of them um david ogden steers who was on mash for a really long time another great actor is great and there's so many subtle things about his character you know he in the first scene that we see him where he's he's got his own battle with the paper boy He's coming out in like a woman's, you know, <laughs> nightgown. And it's, there's no comment on it. He's just wearing it. And then later you see him run out again and he's got these big pink, looks like women's slippers. Mm. Again, no, like it just is something that's there. Like it's just quick. He yeah. had to get out there quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever he could find. Or he was already wearing them, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and- and, and then his relationship, him trying to bond with Lane. Yeah, right. He was like using teen speak, right? Like, yeah, he's right got books book. on like, like trying to use slang. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. You're really uh, burning me up. Like, what did he <laughs> say? So yeah, yeah. Um, and then like his mom, as Lane's mother, uh, Kim Darby, uh, is like a, just a terrible cook, like doesn't know how to cook. Everything's and, like, green. Everything and, she cooks is like green and, looking, yeah. slimy, and gets up and walks off the table. <laughs> yeah. And at one point, there's just like tentacles in a <laughs> pot or whatever. Yeah. Like it's just, it, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a wacky household. <laughs> well, clearly, like she's I don't know. There's something up with her. Like the, there's some mental health issues or or what. But yeah. uh, you know that, and and the fact that they they all each of them like acknowledge these weird things, but just move on you know yeah yeah like the slimy baked green bacon that she boiled right <laughs> like yeah. they just look at it and keep going with their conversation yeah well i think like part of it is like it's that that's that endless commentary of like parents are clueless right like so they this is just heightening it to such a, di- a level of 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 that that like and they and you just accept it like okay like these they're just clueless about everything um yeah yeah uh and then and then the other the only other running gag well there's probably more too but after beth had break breaks up with lane like all these men like these adult men are like 
getting his uh, want to ask his permission to date her <laughs> yeah, yeah was like it the, the school teacher, teacher the vincent, mailman vincent scavelli yep. yeah 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 <laughs> taylor negron the, the mailman I, yeah. I love that like he's dropping the mail as he's going through people's mail yeah he's, he's opening it and, <laughs> and then he he asked lane if he can ask her out lane shuts the door and you hit hear him still talking out yeah. on the front <laughs> it's great i know all, all of those things like everything we just said are reasons why I love this movie. All these wacky, wacky characters. Um, I just, I think they're still funny to me. Yeah. There's a charm to it. So yeah, I, I get how it's doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't hit the same. Um, but yeah, it's like, so it makes it like less of a must watch again kind of thing. But um, it, uh, yeah, I think, I think if you, you see it at the right time, it's just one of those movies that are now just programmed. Like, it's gonna hit the. It's gonna hit some warm spots in your brain if you watch it again. Um, depending on your, uh, you know, your level of nostalgia or you know tolerance for some of the uh, riskier choices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think it's a movie I'll go out of my way to like show my kids at any point. You know what I mean? Right. But let them let them learn about better off dead yeah. on these streets. Yeah, on the street. It definitely served. It definitely served a purpose at a time in my life, and it was significant. Yeah, Um, I want to come back to what we were talking about: Revenge of the Nerds. Mm. So that come out eighty four. Oh, so right before this. So in that movie, you know the nerds and what they're doing, and their what they end up doing is they're portrayed as heroes. Here yeah. you've got Ricky, who would definitely have been one of the nerds, who is portrayed as one of your villains, and in a lot of ways, kind of the true villain of the movie. Because when you know who's the final, the final villain, yeah, of the, the movie, final battle, yeah, is the yeah. Lane versus Ricky. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I don't know; it's just a different uh, spin on it here. That that he's doing the same thing that they're the nerds in revenge of the nerds are doing, but it's definitely portrayed as, you know, I mean, they're not saying what he's doing is okay. Yeah. Or is Lane Ricky's Stalin? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, is he? I mean, no, Hard to, yeah. <laughs> but you, cause you can't justify that relationship. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just what him and his mom have done to bring Monique over and implied there's there's no there's no uh, redemption from that. Right. So hmm. He can't be. But in an alternate universe where that didn't happen and it wasn't as horribly awkward, maybe. Yeah. Hmm. And ultimately, after Lane defeats him. You know, there's some another woman who is a uh, quote unquote nerd woman who is on the on the slopes of the K-12 who who falls in love with him. And, and he seems like he dumps his mom for this girl. And right. Maybe maybe there's hope for for Ricky after after that. I, 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 I hope for good things for Ricky. I, we all hope, hope for I hope, hope he turned it around. Yeah. <laughs> uh so where does this guy are you first of all are you guys are you guys fans of the john cusack relationship move 
in gen in a general sense. In a general sense, yeah. Like I don't we've know. got we've got what do we have? We have the sure thing. We've got better off dead. We've got say anything. We've got uh, I guess gross point blank, which we covered here. You can listen to in the archives at reconsideration.com. Uh, the, we've got high fidelity and then your later ones, America's sweethearts and, and serendipity. And, and he does still, was it must love dogs? Was that one with oh, Diane yeah. Lane? Yep. Uh, are you guys fans of any of those? Any of those speak to you more than the others? Uh, Rose point blank is probably my favorite of the ones that you just listed off, yeah. but Say Anything was probably one of the most popular romantic. I don't know. It's got I, an iconic shot. It's got yeah, iconic I mean, it was. Shot. It's like one of the like staples of of the time frame. But I was never a huge fan of Say Anything. But Gross Point Blake, I like a lot. I yeah. think that's great. Yeah, I like that. I don't know. Not a huge fan of the other stuff, but I, I don't know. Some, you know, those early ones they came out when before I was a child, when I was a child. So I wasn't like, I'm not, I wasn't watching. Uh, I wasn't going to watch say anything until later. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I didn't, I, maybe it's cause I got into those in probably mid college. Mm-hmm. I got into the Cusack stuff. That was when I saw say anything for the first time. That's what high fidelity came out. I, I loved Gross Point Blank, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm a big fan of a lot of his. You know, I I don't. I'm not into like the later Cusack. You know, mm. who's doing the horror movies and like action movies and low like budget just, things. I like that he does all sorts of stuff. Though I don't know. I mean, being John Malkovich was great, but I guess that's mm-hmm. not really. I mean, that's is that later? That's uh, old, that's old yeah. now. Well, that's yeah. I mean, we we t- again we talked about that last year, and and that's a great, might be the last great Cusack performance. I mean, he's I, I don't know. He's done. I I there are some movies I haven't seen that supposedly he's he's really really great in. But uh, I like Hot Tub Time Machine. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and then yeah. there's that. Yeah, hey, I think he did great in that. I think that one's. I don't know if there's a movie with John Cusack who's a heartbroken John Cusack is walking through the rain depressed like I'm going to see that movie that's a that's a staple that's a John Cusack staple that's good you should do that (laughs) Uh, so I'm in for that but um, And then, you know, like we mentioned, this does, uh, this does, part of the movie does take place at Christmas. It, um, it's, I think it's unclear how, what the whole like length of time that this, the, the movie takes place in, but not too terribly long. I mean, it's all contained within the winter season. So maybe like November to, to January, maybe. Something like that. I mean, yeah, over over course of months. Yeah, but couldn't. Yeah, I don't know. But you know, it's got to work in Christmas. I mean, it's uh, you know, Christmas could really show up in every movie. Even Star Wars has has Christmas. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> My kids were were arguing with me earlier about what uh 
like for TV shows, if, if they have a Christmas episode, does that make it a Christmas show? And I said, yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> so if, if, what? <laughs> if, no. uh, if Christmas appears in your movie or show that just puts it in, it's about Christmas. A whole show. I'm just kidding. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> That's, uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one other thing that really I really love, love, love about this movie is the soundtrack. Hmm. What do we got on this? It's it's mostly e, uh, E.G. or Elizabeth Daly. Mm-hmm. Um, great songs that fit, I think, fit the vibe of this movie really, really well. Um, well there's a whole song called Better Off Dead, right? Better Off Dead. Yep. That that might be what we go out with on the uh, uh, on this episode here. We'll have to you'll have to keep listening to find out. Um, there's "Like to Get You Know You Well" by by Howard Jones. That's that's a great song. There's you know of course there's other there's the uh, score by Rupert Hine who has, does a number of tracks and um, some other some other songs. There's you know Foxy Ladies in here, but that's uh, and some some Christmas. Uh, music by the Carpenters and Darlene Loves, and um, just a good overall soundtrack. N- you can't find a complete soundtrack uh, out there for this. You can get it's got about half the songs on it, but it's uh, it- it's at least something. So, mm-hmm. but uh, those are those are real enjoyable. I-, I love those. So, just my thoughts. Um, uh, should we should we talk a little? little bo a little box office glory and see how the movie did financially yeah all right so the the movie filmed in november december 1984 in and around la it's actually the scene where he's on the bridge ready to commit suicide is actually uh on my route home from recon cinema studios so i Mm. drive past that or underneath that every Pretty much every day. So, uh, but uh, a lot of the car chases was was shot in the Sierra Madre area. Um, the Myers house is in is in Glendale. The uh, the car wash uh, scene is right over off San Fernando in Cambridge Park. Like, that's correct. That's my that's my old car wash. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I used to go. That's you can see McCambridge too. Like when they, yeah, you can you can yeah. see where the Carl's Jr. is. It's not Carl's Jr., but whatever it was, yeah, yeah, whatever it was, yep, absolutely. Uh, the, I was like, hey, that's my part. Well, yep. it's funny when you can start noticing all that. A lot of this, a lot of this movie looked awfully familiar. Yeah, the uh, and actually, a, a lot of these locations is similar to where they shot Gross Point Blank. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. There you go. The restaurant, the burger restaurant is in the valley. That's um yep. the building's still there. It's closed down. It's just a vacant building now. But you can if you know what to look for, like you can tell, like that that's it right there. Yeah. It opened up August 23rd, 1985, in limited release. And this was like it was like 15 theaters. Um, Teen Wolf came out that weekend and was the dominant oh. movie. Yeah, <clears throat> Better Off Dead got about fifty six thousand dollars, and then it didn't open wide until October eleventh, nineteen eighty five, which was the same weekend that two amazing films were were the new releases that weekend: Silver Bullet, 
and Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. One of those you can hear in our archives at www.reconsidermation.com. That's Silver Bullet. The other we'll definitely be covering at some point down the road. <laughs> Plus, we've already covered Teen Wolf. And Teen Wolf, yeah. We've done a lot of 85 shit. The big year. It's a huge year. It's a big it is. Year. Yeah. And a lot more to go that year, too. But mm-hmm. uh, so it, it opened up when it moved wide. It bumped all the way up to number seven. So for a movie that had been out for a month and a half already, that's, you know, pretty good. Uh, it only does uh, 2.8 million that weekend. It ends up with uh, 10.2 million domestically. It was, uh, I'm not sure what the total budget was. I, I can't imagine it was that huge. So I feel I like I this... read something. The budget was like $3 million. Yeah. So this was, was, I wouldn't say it was a hit, but it was, they made their money back for sure. Yeah. You triple your, triple your money back. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. So one of those. But I think I think the thing is, is they were hoping that it would make money like Fast Times at Ridgemont High type money, right? Right. And that's that's or, what it did not do, and so they considered it kind of, even though it did earn its money back and some, it didn't quite hit the numbers they were hoping for. Yeah, yeah it it uh, it didn't catch fire. That's for sure. I mean, they they sort of got you know, they got by with it, but it wasn't the hit that they, that they wanted. Yeah. Well, and they, so leading up to its release though, like they were previewing it and it was getting great numbers in the previews. So it was doing so well at the previews that they went ahead and just kind of greenlit his second movie, one crazy summer. And, uh, that was already going by the time they were they were releasing this. So yeah, which which sort of leads into what ended up happening between Cusack and Savage Steve Holland. That this movie is released when they're I think they're in production already mm-hmm. on One Crazy Summer, and Cusack was very upset at the final film. Was uh, you know didn't like how he was portrayed, didn't like the, how the film turned out, felt like. He was lied to and misled and and it wasn't the movie that he was making um, and ended up no longer speaking to Steve Holland. And they went through almost the entire production of that movie where he's the lead with the director and the lead actor not speaking to each other. And I don't know if they've ever spoken since then. Hmm. I don't know. I did hear that. And then I heard more recently that Cusack is kind of calmed down a bit on that, on his dislike of better off dead. And he, he, you know, appreciates it now a a little more than he did back then, but it kind of blows my mind that he had such a negative reaction to this movie. Cause I feel like, I feel like this movie is kind of, I don't know, for a long time, like it was kind of the cult movie that all the, like if you'd seen better off dead, like you were cool, <laughs> you know, like, right. cool. like if you were able to find it and you were able to watch it and you knew about it, like you were cool. And so like, there was this whole cult, like insiders group uh, of people who had seen this movie and like John Cusack was like the leader of that. And I think like it helped him, like it helped perpetuate his career in such a way that like he still is 
like has receipts yeah for 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 what he's doing now you know and so i don't it kind of blows my mind that he has that opinion yeah i i don't know like what when he read the script i've never read the script for this movie but i can't imagine that the script was so wildly different from what the finished product was i know that does happen where it changes in the editing room and tones change they used the director uses different takes maybe that happened here but i mean plot wise like it's pretty clear what's going on in this movie so well, i mean a- animation sequences don't just pop up out of nowhere yeah i mean when, you're when, in a cafeteria like, yelling at a blank sheet of paper you yeah. know something's going to be on there i just when when you're shooting a scene with you as a crazy maniac, Dr. Frankenstein dream yeah. sequence, fantasy sequence, like what did you think that what was, I'm not sure what his, we'll have to ask him. Well, it's, yeah, it, it is like he's involved in all this stuff. He's in the scenes with all these crazy things. Like where does it, what does he think, you know, and it's not, and, and even still like what's so, even if he was sort of, confused about what the final product was supposed to be it's like is he does he feel like humiliated or something like that he's in this like that people are laughing at it i mean did he did it, was yeah. it supposed to be more of a serious take i, I mean maybe yeah. so i mean i can't i mean obviously like if that if that was his position of uh, you know to be angry about it obviously he had a whole different idea but i i don't know it's 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 on the page there's there's just stuff you'd have you couldn't ignore the tentacles or the moving food or yeah <laughs> i mean I, yeah, like I, there's yeah. just so much stuff in the movie that's completely wacky yeah um but i don't know so you know we'll 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 have to cover one crazy summer because that that is uh i really i really like that movie i don't love it as much as i love better off dead but yeah it's got a bit of a different tone you know, yeah. you have more of a female lead with with huh, Demi Moore. Yeah, pun intended. I I liked I liked One Crazy Summer more than Better Off Dead. Yeah, for a long time that was my for a I, long I, time I preferred One Crazy Summer. Yeah, so um, it'll be it. It was also the one that I saw first. So we'll, and that uh, might be it. Like I I saw One Crazy Summer as for the first time as an adult and. Mm-hmm did yeah. not like it at all i rewatched it recently and liked it a lot more mm. um but i still don't i i didn't have that love for it but you know i'm i'm uh you know an 80 year old guy watching it for the for like the second <laughs> time so right right i don't know it's got bobcat in it it so. does sure does bobcat and it doesn't it helps curtis armstrong too right oh yeah for sure so you got that. And, and Curtis Billy, Armstrong is like and Billy Zabka and Rich Little. Holy shit. Yeah. Loaded, everybody. Um, but overall for, for better off dead, I appreciate it for taking like the cliche kind of eighties movie and spinning it a little bit and trying to do something different and, uh, I, I, I just appreciate it for that, that it, it tried to be different and hit some of the same subjects and uh, from a different angle. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's I think that's why it it works. It could it it it, it has its own mark on the subject matter. 
yeah for sure i mean it's got it's definitely got its own stamp it, it, like it's mm-hmm. i don't know if there's been an maybe there has but uh, an 80s movie or a teen movie that's as bizarre as this one is i can't uh, think of any you know they they kind of traditionally do that straightforward uh you know storylines yeah. yeah i'm sure there are strange ones i don't know if they're intentionally strange but yeah they yeah, probably none... are but i mean it, it takes a certain level of charm and and right and, and you got to be good at strange people. for it to because you can't go too big <laughs> yeah. and you go too little then it doesn't hit <laughs> like uh, who knows i'm sure yeah. there's some lovely little movies out there and this was so personal to savage steve holland that i think that's a lot of it too that right. it wasn't just like some guy coming in directing or you know directing somebody else's script of this if somebody else had directed this script that he wrote it would have been an entirely different portrayal probably would have been pretty boring and would have just been like you know added to the pile of the other 80s teen movies of the day yeah yeah yeah, there definitely seems to be like element of heart here, you know, that you can kind of feel like you mentioned earlier, the, like it's it all seems rooted in real experience, you know, things that people can relate to experience wise, even though it's, you know, spackled together with all these strange different elements and all this wackiness. It's, uh, you know, like at the at the heart of it, it's you know, there, there are things that everybody can kind of be like, Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we, we spoke about it. It's, it's a lot of heavy themes in here taken with a, a very light comedic uh, look on it, but, uh, but they are there. And I don't know. I, I think it's one, I always recommend it. This is on my movie list. I, I think at least for, the creativity of what he's trying to do and and how he's trying to do this subject differently, a common, a commonly covered subject. So differently. And on top of that, you get a little Christmas. (laughs) Well, well, and it's so our last, our last film we did was lethal weapon, which also, you know, we didn't really touch on it in the episode much that, you know, uh, Mel Gibson's character is suicidal. He's he's a he's psycho. He's a psychopath. He's crazy. They keep using all these like loaded words for that he may be suicidal because he's obviously extremely depressed or in grieving, and you know, in acting in dangerous situations. And it and it's this idea of this this man who's going through mental anguish is crazy or is a psychopath or or psychotic whatever they say and all that and it it you know it's sort of resolved that once he finds family uh he doesn't have that need to 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 want to end his life and this movie same thing like a character's like trying to he's considering ways to end his life attempts it like specifically once and, and and if he didn't you know if he didn't pass out and hit the hit the gear shift, he would have died in the car. Uh, and then, but like he was going to hang himself, and he sort of took it back. And then he was going to light himself on fire, but then he couldn't because 
Ricky's mom drank the the primer or whatever. Yeah, and she uh, blew up and blew herself up. And he's like, "Sorry, sorry about your mom, Ricky. <laughs> yeah, sorry your mom exploded or whatever." But like this this kind of heavy shit. And you know, I I think maybe. Uh, but I have to question: How happy could he have been? Even before, probably not much, right? So Beth, Beth was Beth his, broke up with him, right? I mean, yeah. he's obsessed was, with her. She obviously doesn't think the same. Yeah, I mean, she's probably been unhappy with him for however long. But like it, you know, so but whatever he's go, he's going through, it's not it's not necessarily losing Beth that that was creating this, but it is a catalyst yeah. for him, you know. Absolutely, because so, so he thought he built his life around her, and then that ended. So he was sort of grieving that. So it's. There's this like, you know, there's something to it in this these two movies that we saw, where a character is seriously considering their own life, and um, one played for laughs, and then one sort of played for, uh, you know, writing him off, like that you you'd have to be crazy to kill yourself, all right? Not not like oh you're in pain, what can we do? You're crazy. Um, I guess then they call him. Rig's crazy because of you know he puts other he potentially puts other cops in danger and stuff. Yeah, but right. Um, so I mean, there are for anyone that would be considering ending the this, any self harm or ending their own life, there are resources out there. Um, National Suicide Prevention Hotlines out there. Suicide.org can give you resources too to reach out. Um, and this this can be a tough time of year of for year. people. Yeah, absolutely. It's the holidays. Yeah, uh, and so, uh, and and it, it, you can get to a level of despair where uh, the you know where pain is it, it seems too much. Um, maybe maybe even watching movies like this actually might make it relatable in the sense of like some other people go through this pain as well. Yeah. So and there's there are. There are resources, and if you can talk to people, um, please do. Um, reach out to anybody. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I just want to make sure because we we didn't really talk about that psycho that psycho talk on the yeah. last episode, and for touching on the theme again, in sort of a different way, uh, it should be addressed. And um, anyway, yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. Well, <laughs> and that that's gonna we're gonna pivot after after these two. Movies where, you know, we've got some dark undertones here. Mm-hmm. We're going to pivot to something. I'm not going to say what it is. I won't spoil it, but I'm going to tease it. That it's, uh, it's a very, it's a, it's a classic comedy. It's uh, another movie def- about family, family, uh, holiday, major holiday flavor. And we're working on having a, having a special guest join us. We're still working on the, the contracts are, are, teams are in talks but uh hopefully we'll have that locked in the next few days and it's going to be a really really fun episode and and that's going to be our our number one christmas movie of this uh of this year excellent i can't wait cannot wait yeah it's going to be fun we're going to get uh we're going to get much more fun than maybe the last couple of episodes so um we had yeah. some fun on both of these. We did. Yeah. Yes, yeah, totally. They're yeah. fun. I, I, ended, I ended this episode on a downer of a note. <laughs> well, no, but I <laughs> Not think a downer, but a serious note. No, yeah, it's I important, think it's important to take that, you know, I think it, what you said was right. Like, you you, you know, uh, although, you know, we're talking movies, um, you know, depression's real. These kind of thoughts are real. And 
yeah. you know, uh, like John mentioned too, that around this time of year, it gets really tough. And so I think it makes a lot of sense to, to remind people that there are people out there that they can talk to and, and who uh, have gone through similar things and can, can help you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, these movies, not, not nearly as somber as, as the tone of that, of that uh, kind of outreach, but, you know, it's important that we say it. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad you guys did. And you know, if you're if you're listening out there and you ever just need somebody to talk to, you can always reach out to us through our social medias. We're Reconsideration Podcast on <laughs> Facebook, Instagram. Why are you gonna make it all corporate and weird, John? Oh my gosh! Well, I'm just trying to wrap the show up now. Nice job, Stalin. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, now I can't even get through it. <laughs> If you're listening, uh, you know where to find us. We'll yeah. be there again. Come check it out. All right. We're going to check us out on our social medias. We're Reconsidimation Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can check out our archives at reconsidimation.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're going to, as we're wrapping up, we're just going to say a quick thank you and uh, p- promo for some of our friends. We've got Scored to Death. Uh, which is a look at some of horror's greatest composers uh, by our friend Jay Blake Teixeira. Uh, Laser Graves, of course, by E.K. Wimmer, who does our theme music. And uh, thank you to our friend Curtis Moore for the poster, as usual. By the way, one more thing about Better Off Dead, the poster. It's a Drew Struzan poster, one of my all-time favorites. There's a few variants of it. Uh, but a great, fantastic poster, uh, amazing drawing by Mr. Struzan. So, um, but comparable to the work that Curtis Moore does. Very much so. <laughs> um, yes. Okay, guys. So, yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next time for our very special holiday episode of Reconsidimation. Take care. I want my two dollars. Two dollars. Johnny. Four weeks. 20 papers, that's $2, plus tip. Uh, gee, Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. Didn't ask for a dime. $2. Well, uh, it's funny. See, my mom had to leave early to take my, my brother to school and my dad to work, because... $2. Cash.